Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. If you sometimes lack the energy and motivation to get into the gym, or are hitting the snooze button instead of that morning class, or are just not feeling like you're giving 100% during your workout, Just Ingredients Raspberry Pre-Workout is for you. Just Ingredients Raspberry Lemonade Pre-Workout is a 100% natural pre-workout drink that increases energy, improves mood, sharpens mental focus, increases strength and endurance, and reduces fatigue. Just Ingredients is committed to its ingredients and only uses the highest quality natural ingredients that come from the earth. Just Ingredients pre-workout is naturally sweetened and flavored with real foods and contains no artificial dyes, chemicals, or sugar alcohols. So if you want some help getting a boost for your workouts, you want to try Just Ingredients pre-workout today. For 20% off of Just Ingredients pre-workout, use the code JIPODCAST2 on our website at justingredients.us. Once again, that's code JIPODCAST2 at justingredients.us for 20% off your pre-workout. Jared St. Clair is an enthusiastic natural supplement expert and formulator. Jared began his career at the very young age of seven as he shadowed his parents in their health store. Jared has owned the family business Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah for nearly 30 years now. Through one-on-one interaction with his clients at Vitality, along with countless hours of research, he has developed effective protocols for many of the most common health concerns, including digestive health, depression, anxiety, immune dysfunction, hormone balance, and even women's hair loss. His formulations for Ridgecrest Herbals, 10-Day Results, Brand New Day, and other brands have proven to be highly effective and have been the means to better health for many grateful clients. Jared's desire to educate people outside of his own store led him to host his own talk radio show beginning in 2008 on the Utah Jazz Radio Network in Salt Lake City. Jared currently hosts Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast with episodes released twice a week. His shows take a close look at flaws found in the modern healthcare industry, government overreach in our health decisions, and discusses natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals and more. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today's guest I'm really excited about because his podcast hit my top five podcasts that were listened to in 2022. And so, so many of you had asked for him to come back and I thought, why not? His episode was amazing. Let's ask him more. So today it is Jared St. Clair back with us on the show. So welcome back to the show, Jared. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I had a great time the last time and lots of your listeners uh, reached out to me afterwards to ask questions and it was a lot of fun and uh, really enjoyed it. Glad to be back. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that they reached out to you because you are a wealth of knowledge. So why don't we just remind the listeners or if there's new listeners, just tell them a little bit about your background. Yeah, the long and short of it is that I grew up in a health food store, a little place uh, we call Vitality Nutrition that my parents opened in Bountiful, Utah, 45 years ago. I'm 50, so most of my life I've been there. I remember uh, literally uh, taking care of my baby sister uh, while my mom helped customers out front, you know, so it was a true family business. And uh, I 
found a passion for health and nutrition at a very young age, really, really enjoyed working with people and answering questions about all types of things uh, regarding supplementation and, and, you know, healthy eating and all that kind of stuff. Uh, about uh, 15, 16 years ago, I started formulating products uh, for a company called Ridgecrest Herbals, and uh, that really lit a fire under me uh, as I started researching individual ingredients and trying to figure out what herbs do what and what could combine well with with uh, other things. That was super exciting and a lot of fun. So I really uh, found a lot of enjoyment in that, but then also found a lot of uh, excitement when I found that my formulas were helping people uh, get the results that they were looking for. So then I uh, eventually moved away from Ridgecrest Herbals, started making my own formulas. I have a few different brands. And uh, for 15 years now, I've been doing a radio show called Vitality Radio uh, locally here on the Utah Jazz Radio Network where we live. And uh, three years ago, turned it into a podcast and, and a that's probably my favorite couple hours of the week is doing the podcast now. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I love that you're out there trying to teach people how to nourish their body and how to heal and things like that. So our last podcast episode we did together, it was really fun because we just talked about certain topics like sinus infections and hair loss and ear infections, just took a few topics and discussed them. So I want to do the same today, but obviously with different topics and so the first topic I want to ask you about is acid reflux. And so let's begin with that. Let's just discuss what is acid reflux and is this the same thing as heartburn? Okay, that's actually a really great question because there's a lot of confusion about it. And I even decided before doing the show to just look up the textbook definition and make sure that I was I was hitting it correctly. But basically, heartburn is the symptom and reflux is the cause of the symptom. And so as you're and, and then there's a further uh, definition called GERD, uh, G-E-R-D, which is basically severe reflux. Most people are considered to have GERD uh, when they have a significant heartburn or reflux at least two or more times per week. And the more often you have it, kind of the worse it is. And so that's kind of how the definitions work. Okay, so what are typical causes of acid reflux? So that's actually probably the most, uh, I would say maybe shocking part of this topic to talk about is the, the causes because the, the things that are prescribed or recommended for reflux are drugs that actually reduce stomach acid. Uh, these can be proton pump inhibitors, uh, things like Prilosec and uh, Nexium and that sort of thing. And some of those are over the counter now and some are prescribed by doctors. And then there are the kind of the old school acid uh, antacids like Tums and Maalox and those types of things. But the interesting thing is, while it is possible to have reflux symptoms from excessive acid in the stomach, I believe, and uh, I'm certainly not alone in this belief, that what's something called hypochloridia uh, is actually low stomach acid. And low stomach acid may actually be the root cause in most people's cases. So then if we're treating the symptom by making the root cause worse, there's a pretty big disconnect there. And that's one of the things that I'm excited to talk about today. Isn't that crazy? I have heard a lot about that. I've read about it as well, but it's crazy to me that um, the things like Tums and other things that so many of us take when we have acid reflux actually lowers the stomach acid rather than increases it. Um, so it, that boggles my mind. So what are ways that we could increase then our stomach acid? 
Well, so the thing that is really counterintuitive to people that I want to address, because people listening to this that have never heard of this idea of low stomach acid being the root cause, it seems really backwards because we're talking about an acidic thing. When reflux occurs, when heartburn occurs, you are getting a burning of stomach acid in the esophagus. And therefore, we end up thinking, well, it must be high stomach acid. And then especially when we take something like Tums, and the heartburn goes away, which is reducing stomach acid, then it seems very, very logical that that would be the problem. But what actually is happening is there's there's actually a hormonal trigger. Uh, there's a little valve at the bottom of the esophagus, and there's a hormonal trigger that is controlled by a variety of different hormones. And believe it or not, Carlin, we don't even know what all of those things are uh, yet. Uh, in the most recent medical research, they're still trying to figure out how that trigger works. But it appears that basically when there is low stomach acid, that valve is relaxed significantly. So then if we start to eat, then stomach acid has the ability to jump back up into the esophagus, even if there's not a lot of stomach acid present. So to answer your question, how do we get our stomach acid higher? And, and maybe why do we want our stomach acid higher too? We need to re-acidify the stomach. And there are a variety of different things that you can do. My favorite kind of quick remedy go-to is ac actually apple cider vinegar raw, unfiltered apple cider vinegar with the mother, the good stuff that I'm sure you've talked about many times before. Apple cider vinegar is not bioidentical to the acid that's in the stomach, but it's very similar to the acid that's in the stomach. And it does allow for our body to process our food, digest our food more efficiently when it's present. A lot of people cringe at the thought of drinking apple cider vinegar. Uh, they don't love the taste or it's too strong or too harsh or whatever. I am a weirdo. I grew up in a health food store. I love apple cider vinegar. I actually enjoy the flavor of it. If you've never heard of fire cider, I love fire cider. Uh, so anybody that is listening and hasn't heard of that, you need to look that one up. And, and in particular, there's this brand that I love from someone I just met called uh, Roots and Leaves that makes the best fire cider ever. And this would be an, a good opportunity to or a good option to use, too if you're okay drinking it. But thankfully, we now have apple cider vinegar in capsules. We even have it in gummies. And the gummies, believe it or not, taste really good. Uh, but the capsules are usually my go-to because they're very inexpensive. You can take them with you to restaurants and things like that. And if you take them just a few minutes before your meal, that gets the acid level higher in the stomach. And that will, in many cases, alleviate, if not completely, at least significantly, the heartburn itself. But then my real go-to long-term for kind of remedying the problem on a long-term basis is whole leaf aloe concentrate. Um, there are a few brands that make whole leaf aloe. The one that I've personally used uh, along my journey is a brand called Aloe Life. So that's the one that I always recommend. And theirs is a true concentrate. It's about four times as strong as a typical aloe vera juice. It's processed at very low heat. And because of that, we end up with all of the mucopolysaccharides that are naturally present in aloe still on board, which are very anti-inflammatory. So you're really getting a couple of different benefits. Over time, because aloe itself is a bitter, and I'm going to assume, Carlin, you've probably talked about bitters on your show before. You know, that's one topic we haven't talked very much about. So go okay. ahead and tell them what, what they are. All right. So I know you know them uh, because I see you cooking with them and things like that. But bitters are basically bitter plants, herbs. Uh, a lot of times the, the bitters are going to be uh, different types of leafy greens, things like that. And when our mouth 
uh, gets the taste of the bitter, when our tongue gets the taste of the bitter, that actually stimulates acid production in the stomach. So that's a way that we can actually get our body to do it the way that it's meant to do it. And I believe that the tradition of a salad prior to a meal actually comes from more of an ancient belief that we need to get those bitters in because we digest our food that's following afterwards. So back to aloe, aloe is one of the bitterest of bitters. And when you take whole leaf aloe, uh, and, and I again recommend it just a few minutes before the meal, that will help to start to stimulate um, acid flow into the stomach through the proton pumps. And by doing that, that also then creates the hormonal uh, trigger that helps to tighten up the sphincter valve at the bottom of the esophagus. And we end up with short-term relief, but long-term uh, true reacidifying of the stomach. And it's really beautiful. I, I struggled with incredibly bad acid reflux as a younger man about 25 years ago and in a year on aloe vera and some of these other things that we'll talk about i haven't had acid reflux for the last 25 years that's incredible and that's so interesting everything you said so i have a question for you can people take um, apple cider vinegar or this aloe every single day for years and years or they shouldn't do that I don't see any negative to taking them all the time. There's a lot of benefits to both of those plants. I did, or to both of those supplements, I should say. I will say that with the aloe, I mentioned that it's kind of a dual purpose. It does help with the reacidifying re because of the bitterness of the plant itself. But those mu mucopolysaccharides that are present are powerful anti-inflammatories. And I will say that if you have acid reflux, there is a very, very high likelihood that you also have gut dysbiosis, uh, meaning basically imbalance in the, in the flora and the microbiome in the gut. And aloe, because it is so anti-inflammatory, can really help to tighten up what are called the tight junctions that are supposed to be tight, not loose, that can lead to things like leaky gut. So it's a, it's a true healer all the way down. And all you have to think about is rubbing aloe on a sunburn. You rub aloe on a sunburn, you know how that works. The problem is that it's a longer process when you're passing it through the digestive system because you can't just rub it on and leave it there. So it does take time, but it is very, very effective. That is so good to know. Okay, so apple cider vinegar um, supplements have become really trendy lately and on yes. social media, things like that. But most of the time people are praising about them because they'll say like, oh, my stomach always hurts when I'm eating or after I've eaten. So these apple cider vinegar um, supplements are helping my stomach not hurt so much. So hurting stomach and acid reflux, do they go together? Well, there's two things that are happening generally. Uh, when we have a low stomach acid environment, we have a very um, underutilized digestive process, I guess, or, or the, the gut itself, the stomach itself is not doing its job very efficiently. There is really only one place in the human body that's supposed to be highly acidic, and that is the stomach. And there's two reasons for that. One is because it helps us to break down our food, in particular minerals, which the American diet is woefully deficient in anyway. So if you hear uh, people like me talking about magnesium and, and uh, selenium and boron and copper and all these different things, then you have to realize that in order to get those things from your food, you do need a high acid environment in your stomach. But when you have a low acid environment in your stomach, all digestive processes are less efficient. And because of that low efficiency, that can lead to gas and bloating, uh, indigestion of all types, even if there isn't the presence of reflux. In many cases, what I've seen and, and witnessed just talking to people uh, over all the years that I've done this is that they start with more lower 
discomfort and eventually it can actually lead up into reflux. But I've also talked to people that only have reflux and don't feel it lower. So it varies from person to person. Okay. So interesting. So now why do you think so many people or is it so many people struggle with low stomach acid? Is this a newer thing or have people dealt with this for years and years? I think that that is something that I will, um, I'll, I'll tell you what I believe is going on, but I don't know that I can prove that it's going on. That's probably the best way to put it. There is research in this area, but there's also debate. Um, this is what I believe is is happening in, for the most part, in America right now. Um, we have a real tendency to eat under stress. Mm. So think about the American diet and how people consume their food. I, about two blocks from my store in Bountiful, there is a McDonald's and I wish that I had as many cars in my parking lot as they have in their drive-thru. <laughs> yep. Any given Don't we moment. all? I leave the store sometimes at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and the McDonald's double drive-thru has eight, 10, 12 cars in it. It's crazy. So we know that that's part of the problem and it's not just the quality of the food or lack thereof in the case of McDonald's. But it is also the, the way in which we're eating it. And I really think we have to get back to a more the, the way that we our ancestors did it, where we actually enjoy our food as opposed to just eating it because we're starving and we have to run to the next meeting or take our kids to soccer or whatever it is that we're doing and that got us there in the drive through in the first place. We have two processes with the central nervous system, and we can talk about this more because I know we're going to touch on stress as well. And that is the fight or flight mode, uh, known as the sympathetic nervous system, or the rest and digest mode, known as the parasympathetic nervous system. And if we think about these two systems, the first thing we have to understand is that we can only be in one or the other. We can't straddle those two. We're one or the other. And rest and digest, which is the one that most people haven't heard of, whereas almost all of us, I think, have heard of fight or flight at this point, is when we digest our food. Because if we're in a high stress environment, we're rushing through the drive through or we're nuking something or doing something very, very quickly, or we're having a stressful conversation during uh, our, our meal, or we're watching something stressful on TV during our meal, or whatever it is that might create these feelings of anxiety and stress, that turns off most of the digestive process. And so when our digestive process is shut down, of course, we're not going to produce enough stomach acid. We're also not going to produce enough digestive enzymes and various other things are going to pay the price. We're going to get less bile secretion from the gallbladder and all of these things work in concert to help us digest and process our food. So stress is a major player. And um, if it's okay, Carlin, can I explain sort of my dinnertime habit that I'm trying to learn and teach to others? That would be great. Let's hear it. All right. So this is something that I think is really, really powerful. And I don't think it's powerful. I know it's powerful because I've experimented with it myself and I've convinced others to try it out. And I've heard really, really good feedback. So if you're going to eat, which I do suggest, I still think eating is good, right? <laughs> if you're going to eat, uh, aside from what you're eating, we can talk about healthy eating. And I know your IG account is constantly talking about healthy eating. So we don't have to go into too much detail there. But aside from what you're eating, there's a couple of processes, a couple of hacks, we could say that you can use prior to eating. First, just recognize that you need to be in a rest and digest state. That means that if your mind is currently racing, if you're feeling any feelings of anxiety, stress, you're in a rush, whatever else, 
then you need to manually, and you can do this, get yourself into rest and digest. And one of the best ways I've ever seen to do that is something known as the physiological sigh. It's got ancient uh, roots in India. It's also known as the straw breath. There's about five other names for it. But if you've ever had children or grandchildren and they, uh, and, and you've done this yourself, I think it's innately put into us by God. But when you are, absolutely broken down. So let's put it in the in the frame of a, of a child. They've skinned their knee. They run into mom or dad. They're crying. They think their world has ended. It hurts so bad. They get the hugs. They get the kisses. They get the Band-Aid and they start to calm down. And as they start to calm down, the natural process of breathing starts to occur known as the physiological sigh. And that is when we breathe like this. It's two quick breaths in through the nose and a long drawn out breath through the mouth, just like this. Now you can hear me saying that. I know this is a podcast, but I think you've all heard yourself do it. You've seen your kids do it, grandkids do it. And we've now got proof, clinical proof that that physiological sigh can take us directly from fight or flight to rest and digest. And when we're in rest and digest, all of our digestive juices are there and available to digest that food. So the first thing is turn off any of the stressors. The second thing is do the physiological sigh. I suggest about three to four times. That's about all that it takes. And then don't add more stress to the mix after that, because you can throw yourself right back into flight or fight or flight and then eat slowly. Believe it or not, we only have teeth in one part of our body. And that is in our mouth, right? Um, not all of us have as many teeth as others, but regardless, that's the first part of the digestive process for two reasons. One is we're macerating the food, right? We're breaking it down almost like a blender would break it down or a food processor. But we also are excreting enzymes from our salivary glands that are actually helping to break the food into smaller components so the body can then use as nutrition. And the longer the food is chewed and in the mouth, the more of that digestion happens, which takes a lot of load off of the stomach itself and lower down into the duodenum and the intestinal tract. So interesting. So I have a couple things to say. So yesterday I tried acupuncture for the first time. And oh, awesome. Yeah. And he asked me like, how's your day been going or what do you want help with things like that? And I said, I've had the most stressful morning. We had a big incident at work happen and it was just sort of a mess and I'd been stressed all morning. And so he was like, okay, get on the table. I'm going to help you get to rest and digest. And he had me doing a very similar breathing thing like oh, you, you just go. showed. And so I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? And then second, I, for years, ate while I was stressed. Like I'm in the car running somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. trying to eat my breakfast on the way to the podcast. And actually this morning, because I've been trying to really pay attention to that, this morning, I was like, no, I'm going to sit down at the table and eat my breakfast slowly before I run to the podcast. I'm not going to speed in my car while I'm eating my breakfast and stressing about getting there on time, you know, and it just helps so much um, with, like you said, digestion. Afterwards, you just don't hurt. There's no bloating and gas and things. If you just take that time to slow down, enjoy your food, eat it like you've said. So thank you so much for saying all of that. Absolutely. And and one more thing I'll just add in, even if you're eating healthy food, if you're subscribing to the types of things that Carlin and I talk about in terms of eating organic and clean and everything, you can still have indigestion if you aren't taking care of yourself in other ways. So it all ties in. 
You know, I had a guest on just recently who was talking about that, but she was saying, um, do something before you eat that will start those enzymes moving. Mm-hmm. For instance, she was like, just breathe your food. Or yep. she was like, if you are one that says a prayer before you eat, have that food like right there by you and say that prayer and be breathing it as, you know, you're saying the prayer before you eat. And just those few seconds will help with the digestion. So yeah, it doesn't matter really what you're eating if you're stressed while you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to get more out of any of it if you're uh, in that rest and digest mode and a whole lot less discomfort afterwards. Exactly. Okay. Well, our next topic was or is stress, I should say. So let's talk more about stress. You talked about the fight or flight versus the rest and digest, but this affects more than just our digestion. Stress plays a huge role in our health. So what else is it affecting? Can I actually add one more thing to the acid reflux that I didn't mention that yes, I think is for really sure. important? I talked about the enzymes in the in the mouth, the salivary uh, glands, and we touched on enzymes for very, very shortly the first time I was on your show. But it needs to be something that is not overlooked, and it is overlooked so much in even natural medicine. I'm kind of shocked, actually. Uh, I had a client in just the other day that has been struggling with severe uh, gut uh, dysbiosis, leaky gut, uh, reflux cramping, bloating, constipation, you can name just about any symptom. And she's dealt with it over the last few years. And she was on a whole bunch of stuff that had been recommended by a variety of different doctors, even holistic doctors. And she wasn't on digestive enzymes. And it really shocked me. She was 47 years old. Um, If we get above 35 or 40 in America, most of us are not secreting nearly enough digestive enzymes to actually break down our food to the individual components that our body then recognizes as nutrition. And so even younger people, unfortunately, I'm seeing this more and more, Carlin, are struggling with low digestive enzyme production. But a big part of the reason that our body doesn't produce as many enzymes as it needs is stress. So we will make more when we're not under stress. But if you're still struggling, you take these other techniques that we've talked about, maybe you use the apple cider vinegar and things like that, and you haven't tried digestive enzymes, digestive enzymes are a big deal. Uh, years ago, 12 years ago, I, I actually decided that I needed to make a formula. I talk about my acid reflux story all the time on my podcast and in my shop and things. And I decided I needed to make a formula that was um, that would really kind of cover these bases. And I have uh, a couple of spore forming probiotics in it and also digestive enzymes. And then it has peppermint and ginger and things that are very soothing and calming to the gut. It's called back on track. And what's interesting is when you take digestive enzymes and you can test this, it's really, really cool. If lunch, for whatever reason, and I haven't figured this one out, but lunch seems to be the meal that most people feel they need to take a nap afterwards. If they're really struggling with digestion, they take, they eat lunch at 12 or one or two o'clock. And it's like, oh my gosh, for the next hour, they feel like they just nod off at their desk and fall asleep. If you experience that, and you start taking digestive enzymes and all you pay attention to is that symptom, that fatigue that you get after meals and it goes away, then you know that the digestive enzyme deficiency is absolutely present, but also the gassiness, the bloating, the reflux. My experience has been that the aloe and the probiotics and the enzymes and the apple cider vinegar as a team are about as good of a thing as you can do combined to take care of of these types of issues. Well, let me ask you, though, about all these supplements you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I do love that tip about being tired after you eat. I've heard numerous doctors tell that on the show, actually, that 
you should not be tired, you know, right after you eat, an hour after you eat. That is a sign of needing help. But let me ask you, you just talked about the aloe and apple cider vinegar and all of that. Is there more to this, though, than just supplementing with this? I mean, what about these people that are eating McDonald's every single day or a ton of sugar every day or a ton of processed packaged food every day? I mean, they've got to also look at that as well, right? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what I tell my clients. We can help you with supplements all day long and we will get you part of the way. But we will never get you all of the way if you don't clean up your diet. If you don't really take control of what you're putting in, you know, garbage in, garbage out. We've all heard that saying. Um, Unfortunately, that's just the case. Believe it or not, you can get away with a lot more if you do these other things, apple cider vinegar and enzymes and probiotics. Absolutely, because you are fortifying the system and you're you're sort of symptom relieving at that point, though, because you're never really going to satisfy the body's needs until you actually satisfy the body with real nutrition and real food. So it all plays a major role. I mean, even how you sleep plays a role in how you digest. So it's all tied together, just like everything else in in the human body. But we can never overlook our inputs. Uh, If we're, you know, pulling into the McDonald's and we're doing that type of food or even eating, you know, junk food at home, packaged food, things like that, then we're absolutely going to pay a heavier price than if we're eating clean. Okay. So now I have another question about digestive enzymes though, and then we'll get back to stress. Um, So I hear quite often, so I'm curious if you believe this is true, that there's so many digestive enzymes out there on the market that the best way to know if it's a good enzyme that's actually going to do its job is to split the pill open, the capsule open, put it in like a cup of yogurt and see if it will liquefy the yogurt down into a liquid. Is that correct? Yeah, my favorite one is actually oatmeal. Um, The reason I like it in oatmeal even better is because it's more magical when you see the oats just disappear. It's really wild. Whereas with yogurt, it gets thinner, right? But oatmeal turns into basically just gray brownish water. It's really crazy. But that is one way to tell. But I will say this. There's a caveat there. If an enzyme is even decent it will do that. Um, You don't have to have a really strong enzyme to do that. Now, if you open your enzyme and throw it in a bowl of oatmeal or yogurt and it doesn't do that, that's a problem for sure. There's a lot of intricacies to this, if I'm saying that right. And one is we have to understand the enzymes. There's a bunch of different enzymes. There are some that break down proteins, fats, carbohydrates, sugars, starches, fibers, all kinds of things like that. And so, you know, yogurt doesn't have as much of all of those things or has different uh, levels of all those things than say a bowl of oatmeal does. So, you know, that kind of test is a, is a valid test, but it's not necessarily foolproof, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, but I always, there's two things. If you're buying supplements and and I have an incredible bias, I sell supplements for a living. So you have to know that. But if you're buying supplements, buy them from someone who is reputable enough that they will take back a supplement if it does not work for you. Uh, There is not a supplement that we've ever sold at Vitality Nutrition that we won't take back. I don't care if it doesn't match your drapes in your house. We'll take it back if that's your reason. It doesn't matter. The point is we want you to be satisfied and we want the stuff that we sell to actually give you the benefit that you're looking for. So make sure you're buying your supplements from a place that you can take them back to if they don't work. And then I recommend with enzymes because they're incredibly safe. You can't hurt yourself with them. It's really just a matter of how much are they going to help you. Do the tests. Uh, test for your energy after you eat. Uh, test by seeing what level of gassiness or bloating you had prior to enzymes versus what you have after enzymes. And, you know, really let your body be the judge. I think that's the ultimate way to do it. Okay. Actually, one last question about testing. 
Is there a way for someone to know if they have low stomach acid? Or is it just like the signs of hurting after you eat or acid reflux, things like that? Those are certainly the most obvious things. Um, and I would say if you don't experience any of that stuff, uh, then there's a better than average chance that your stomach acid is pretty good. It does appear that most Americans seem to really struggle with stomach acid consistently, you know, chronically meal after meal after meal once they start to hit their 40s and 50s. So age is a major factor there. Uh, it's not as common in younger people. But uh, it does happen again when we're under stress, we're not going to make enough stomach acid if we're five or if we're 55. Uh, so the stress thing plays a role there. But as far as knowing if you if that's what's going on, I'm not actually aware of an actual like medical test or anything. Uh, and maybe, you know, something that I don't know uh, that you can share. But I, the experiment that I always ask people to do is actually to try apple cider vinegar with a meal and see how they feel, because that's the kind of the quickest thing that you can do. That's really safe. That's economical. And uh, and just test how your body feels when you eat with vinegar. Okay. Well, I have a baking soda test that is not facts by any means. It's just something people can try and possibly tell them about their stomach acid, but it's on my page. Um, they can find it there, but like I've I said, it, that, it's not but facts. I've never tried so. it. Yeah. Well, maybe it, it, it's certainly worth a try. It won't hurt you either. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's move on to stress though. Our second topic, we've talked All a right. lot about stress and how it plays a role in our digestion, but it also plays a role in a lot of different aspects of our health, right? Every aspect, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it plays a role in our sleep. It plays a huge role in our mental health. Uh, it plays a role in our ability to think clearly. There's all kinds of things that stress uh, can do. And unfortunately, most of them are pretty negative to the body. Okay. And you love magnesium to help with stress. Is I that do. right? I do. I do. In fact, last time when you asked me about my favorite ingredient for life. I, I gave you two and magnesium was one of them. Magnesium deficiency is rampant. Uh, 85 to 90% of Americans, depending on who you read, uh, are deficient in magnesium. We know this for sure uh, through some incredible research that's been done that's all published on PubMed if you want to dig around and look for it. But basically, our ancestors, as only 100 years ago, okay, um, our ancestors were getting something close to 600 milligrams of magnesium every day in their food, okay, wow. with no supplementation at all. There wasn't such a thing as a magnesium supplement 100 years ago. And we are averaging about 250 right wow. now in America. So we're about 350 milligrams shorter than our ancestors were. That in of itself is probably a problem, right? But our stresses are far more chronic than they used to be too. Um, the, the stresses that we deal with are as simple as what just popped up on Facebook or Instagram, what we just heard on the news or even a news break, you know, driving five minutes from one place to the other, uh, a phone call, a text message, heck, I bet everybody in the audience can think of one person that texts them or calls them. And when they see that thing on their phone, they, their blood pressure starts <laughs> to rise. Stress is a major factor. And the higher our stress, the lower our magnesium reserves because magnesium is one of the body's first uh, responders to help calm the nervous system when we're under stress. So it's a major factor. Yeah. And I just read the other day, a lot of people say, oh, magnesium helps with 300, 400 different functions in the body. And the article I was reading was like, that's old news. We actually know now it's over 800 different functions in the body. 
And they were interesting. Isn't that interesting? And so they were talking about how it's a chronic problem in America that so many people are deficient in magnesium. And now knowing it affects 800 different parts of the body, that's critical. Let's touch on two quick things about that, too. Um, The research is fast moving on magnesium. The last article I read, Carlin, said 600. So it keeps expanding and growing. And the first one I ever read said 300. So it just keeps rolling, right? But the interesting thing is a blood test won't tell you. A blood test won't tell you if you're low in magnesium because about 99% of the magnesium in our body is in the tissue of the body, not in the blood, and it is self-regulated in the blood. So almost always our blood will say we have the right amount of magnesium. So don't think that just because it's not on your blood test results that you don't have an issue. It probably is an issue. That's so interesting. Okay, let's also, though, talk about the different forms of magnesium because I hear people say like, oh, yeah, I'm taking a magnesium every day. And I say to them, Mm -hmm. well, what type of magnesium? And a lot of them are taking like a magnesium oxide, which in my belief, I don't think it's helping them as much as some of the other forms of magnesium. So tell them about the different forms or that there's multiple forms. What are your thoughts? This is going to be a shocker to some people, but if you turn your bottle around and it says magnesium oxide in the supplement facts panel, Um, you are probably actually making your condition worse, your deficiency worse. They've actually proven that magnesium oxide creates higher magnesium deficiency. Now, a lot of people take magnesium oxide because it's kind of an amazing laxative. So if there's constipation and chronic constipation, a lot of people use magnesium for that. For For acute constipation, for occasional use, magnesium oxide, I actually don't think is necessarily that bad of an option, but it's not a magnesium supplement. It really is a laxative. Um, the research that I've read and that I subscribe to basically says that magnesium bisglycinate, that's B-I-S uh, glycinate, or just magnesium glycinate is kind of second best, but magnesium bisglycinate, which is only made by one uh, manufacturer, it's a patented process. It's actually made here in Utah by a company called Albion Labs, but the bisglycinate form, which is what I use in my Vital 5 uh, magnesium supplement, has the highest rate of absorption of any of the magnesiums across the board, and I think has the most general use. Now, some people that we haven't been able to, you know, figure out either through diet changes or or uh, enzymes or probiotics or whatever that still struggle with constipation, I might recommend that they use some magnesium citrate because magnesium citrate is much more bioavailable than oxide, but it does have more of a laxative effect than glycinate. So it can kind of be a middle ground for people. Uh, there's also one that I love called magnesium three and eight, which is uh, has a really high rate of uh, pass through uh, for the blood brain barrier and can help with actually mental stress and anxiety and uh, learning, memory, focus, things like that. I don't so far necessarily love some of the magnesiums that I'm seeing pop up on the market. And they're mostly internet brands that are out there uh, that are six or seven or eight different forms of magnesium, because in most cases, they're all proprietary blends, meaning that we don't know what percentage of glycinate is in there versus percentage of oxide or citrate or whatever. I think you're better off kind of getting something that you know what it is. And so my feeling is for the vast majority of people, magnesium bisglycinate is, is the best option. Okay. And let me tell the listeners this. If you are buying your magnesium at just your local grocery store or possibly even Walmart, most of those are magnesium oxide. So take the time. Yeah. Take the time to turn around your bottle and see what it is. Absolutely. Okay. Besides magnesium for stress, do you have other things that you recommend for stress? Yeah, I do. Uh, That physiological size shared, it can be used when you're not eating too. 
Uh, and I will say this, there's a very, very big difference between reaction and response when it comes to stress. And if you're in a confrontational situation where you're feeling stressed because there's an argument brewing or a disagreement or whatever, uh, or somebody texts you something that stresses you out and you want to just text right back, I would recommend taking a little bit of time. It doesn't take long to do that physiological sigh and that parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system thing. It's real. If you think about the sympathetic nervous system, again, being fight or flight and the parasympathetic nervous system being rest and digest. My favorite analogy for that is skydiving. Now, I've never been skydiving because I think it's insane to jump out of a plane that works. But regardless, when you jump out of a plane that works, the first thing that happens is absolutely a massive adrenaline and cortisol rush because there is a stress, no matter how bold you are, that you're plummeting towards the earth. And that's the sympathetic nervous system kicking in. And the one focus at that point for most people, if you talk to anybody that's gone skydiving before, is the ripcord. Okay, I got to have my hand in the right place. I got to pull this ripcord. And that is all you're focused on. And that's good because that's where fight or flight will save your life, literally, the right. same way as it <laughs> saves your life when you're jumping out of the, of the way of an oncoming train or whatever it is. But fight or flight is by design supposed to be short lived to get us from here to there in a safe manner, not supposed to be a big part of our normal day. We should be operating primarily in rest and digest mode most of the time. And so when you pull the ripcord, you pull the parachute, which then gets you into the parasympathetic mode. And when you get into the parasympathetic mode, all of a sudden what happens if you're skydiving, from what I've been told, is all of a sudden everything gets quiet and calm and peaceful because you used to have, it's like sticking your head out of the window on the freeway. It's really, really loud. Well, the same thing when you're plummeting towards the earth without your parachute, but you, you pull the ripcord and all of a sudden everything is calm and peaceful. You can see your surroundings, you can see your environment, you can see where you're wanting to land and you can start to think clearly. When you are able to think clearly in the rest and digest mode, you can respond to stressful situations, but you have the whole picture, not just that little sharp one target that you're looking at, like the ripcord uh, in that analogy. And that is huge. So the physiological side is a ripcord. You can use that. There are all kinds of other awesome breath techniques. There's one called the 478 technique that I use a lot myself uh, that Andrew Weil made famous. He's all over YouTube with that thing. So that's one you can look up. Sleep, 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 sleep is huge for stress. If you're not getting a minimum of seven hours of good sleep and optimally for most people, at least eight hours of good sleep, you will not have a efficient stress response. And then exercise movement is really, really big too. And it doesn't have to be two hours in the gym every day. Uh, simple things like a 20 minute walk can make a big, big difference in our stress response as well. So as far as lifestyle things, those are the things that I recommend. Okay, I love that analogy of the parachute and skydiving. I've never heard it like that and I love it. That's perfect. Um, but I have another question about stress. Well, first of all, I hated when people would tell me, you need to reduce your stress. And I was like, I am a busy mom working and I've got six kids. This was years ago. And I finally came to the terms, okay, I'm not going to say I need to reduce my stress. I'm going to say I need to manage my stress. And so things like sleep and breathing, those are things that can help people manage their stress. So I think that's how we need to look at it. But I do have one question about a supplement. Do you like ashwagandha for stress? 
Oh my goodness. So you can't ask somebody what their favorite child is, right? That's that's <laughs> against the rules, or at least uh, they shouldn't tell you. But uh, ashwagandha is my favorite herb. And I love herbs. I love so many herbs, but I love ashwagandha. It's got over 5,000 years of historical use. I will throw just a quick caveat in there. Not everybody responds well to ashwagandha because not everybody responds well to anything. And there are some people who actually have more of a stress response to ashwagandha, but it's really rare. So it's definitely worth a try. And I do believe that the best form of ashwagandha is called sensoril uh, ashwagandha. They've got, I believe, the best research. They're the only ones that have actually been able to prove that it reduces cortisol in the blood dramatically by like 24 to 26% uh, after taking the sensoril ashwagandha. So I'm an absolute lover of that plant. And what I love about it, too, is that it is an adaptogen. So it can be used daily if you want to use it daily uh, for yeah, stress management, balancing uh, the feelings of anxiety that come from stress. And it can also be a wonder herb for sleep, uh, especially if you have what I call spinning brain syndrome, where you just can't get the brain to shut off so that you can sleep or you wake up at two in the morning and you have a hard time falling back to sleep because your brain is just going, going, going. Uh, ashwagandha is phenomenal for that. My favorite combo is ashwagandha with L-theanine, though. Um, I actually took right before doing this show, not because you stress me out, Carl, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, every time when I want to think more clearly, every time before I uh, write or record my podcast, oftentimes before I go into a, a session with a client uh, and I'm feeling stressed going into that session or before I record a show like this, any of those kind of things, um, I uh, take a product called Anxiety Release. And this was actually one that I developed pretty recently, but it's based on about 12 years of research. And the two big hitters in there are the sensorial ashwagandha and the L-theanine. Uh, that combination is awesome because L-theanine helps to calm the mind in a couple of different ways. It also has methylated and cell-ready B vitamins in it that are the other big nutrient component to calming the central nervous system. And then one of my favorite herbs, lemon balm, uh, that helps to increase GABA in the brain, which helps to calm the mind as well. When you do that, their stress doesn't have to change. And the stress generally doesn't change, right? Just like you said, you're going to have stress. That's just the human condition. It's how do you respond to the stress? How calm can you be under the stress? How efficient can you be at getting the things done that can alleviate the stress? Oh, I love that. I might have to grab some of that and take it before each of my podcasts. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I've noticed a big difference. I used to just use theanine or sometimes if I was tired, I did a little cheat. I'm one of the health guys that will tell you that I don't hate caffeine. Sometimes caffeine can be really useful. And I would do caffeine and theanine prior to recording my show. And that worked with my brain that's kind of wired in that ADD type of a, a, a way of thinking and bouncing around from topic to topic. But uh, the anxiety release, which I did... I didn't think I'd ever use. I'm not a high anxiety person. I have found using it just in the last several weeks that I've used it prior to my podcast. I think it's the best thing I've found for that purpose. And I, that's not even really what it was designed for. Uh, I use it and find that it really helps me with my mental focus. Okay, let's not tout caffeine, though. I've got to now mention this about caffeine. Caffeine every once in a while is okay, but on a daily basis, which most Americans are doing way too much on a daily basis, that actually is going to cause more stress to our body. Yes, yes, yes. And and this is what's interesting. So if I'm still really tired and I'm afraid, and, and, and this is just being very honest, 
that I might yawn when I'm trying to record my show because I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before or whatever it is, then that's when I'll resort to caffeine. Caffeine should not be a daily thing. It's it's the opposite of what we talked about with ashwagandha. Uh, you build up a tolerance and now uh, a can of Coke or your Rockstar or your coffee or whatever it is that's your caffeine of choice, your pre-workout drink, whatever it is, you know, one scoop used to be good and now it's two or three or four. That's how caffeine is and it wears on your adrenal glands and it actually will absolutely decrease your ability to manage stress. So it should be used very judicially and and I believe in more of a medicinal way, uh, certainly not in a daily use fashion. So 100% agree with that. Thank you. I've been on a big soapbox <laughs> about caffeine lately. So thank you for saying that. Okay, Absolutely. we're running out of time, but I do have a third topic that I want to talk to you about. So listeners, hang on. We're going to do one more topic. And that is gut health, but not necessarily just gut health, because so many of us are have learned a lot about our gut and our microbiome and things like that. But let's talk about the gut-brain connection. What is yeah. that gut-brain connection that we keep hearing about? Well, we'll talk about the connection and talk about also, if it's okay with you, Carlin, how it relates to stress and anxiety and depression and things like that. Perfect. So- we have this connection. It's called the vagus nerve. Um, if you think of Las Vegas, it's easy to remember, even though it's spelled differently. But basically, there's more traffic happening between the vagus or, or up and down that highway of the vagus nerve from the gut to the brain, from the brain to the gut than any other communication pathway in the human body. And this is something most people don't know. And I want you to just think about this for just a second after I say it, if you've never heard it before, because it's powerful information. We have about five times as many neurons, also known as brain cells, in our gut as we do in our brain. That's a powerful thing to consider. That is. Which means that if we're dealing with something that we feel is neurotransmitter related, you know, dopamine or serotonin or whatever, we're dealing with depression, we're dealing with anxiety, we're dealing with things like that. And we're thinking this is all in my head, kind of literally, maybe not. Maybe most of it actually started in your gut. In my opinion, is it almost always, always started in your gut because the gut is under attack far more than the brain is uh, in terms of uh, chemicals uh, in our environment and things like that. Yeah, I actually heard that it's 90% communication from your gut to your brain and only 10% communication from your brain to your gut. And so it's yep. actually our gut that we need to focus on. Correct? Yeah, there's more there's more thinking happening in your gut than in your brain if you look at it that way. It's really really interesting and that connection is something we can't ignore. Okay, so why does poor gut health though trigger things like anxiety and depression? Well, let's talk about depression really briefly. Uh, most people think of depression, and if they've been diagnosed with depression, which I know you've you've had a history with that yourself, uh, serotonin is the thing that doctors will talk about. They'll put you on a what's called an SSRI. And while SSRIs can be helpful, they really are kind of overshooting the mark of what I believe is the root cause of this thing. And there's new evidence showing that serotonin deficiency may not even have a direct link to de depression. Right. In fact, I've it appears that. that it doesn't. 
Yeah, yeah I've, I've actually done a couple of shows on Vitality Radio about that, and the studies are pretty fascinating. But let's just say, for instance, that serotonin is playing a role, because we know that serotonin is a feel-good uh, neurotransmitter, and it does have calming effects and feelings of kind of being in control and everything's okay. Well, 90% of that stuff is made in the gut, not in the brain. And it won't be made efficiently if the gut microbiome is a mess and is uh, imbalanced, and if there's excessive uh, pathogenic things like candida and and other things down there uh, when compared to the good bacteria that's supposed to be there. So we have to recognize that the gut microbiome is as important to mental health, whether it's anxiety, depression, or anything else, ADD, OCD, I call them all the Ds, all the diagnoses that we can have that make us think there's something wrong with our brain. Um, we really need to look further south. The gut is a big, big factor in all of that. Well, and one other thing about the gut, because depression can be due to hormonal imbalance as well. And um, our hormones, almost all of them have to come in contact with the gut at some time, whether to be produced by the gut, or regulated by the gut, you know, all certain different things. And so our gut plays a huge role in our hormones as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so when you're saying hormones, I assume you're talking sex hormones, estrogen, yes, progesterone, yes, yes. testosterone, things like that. So yeah, hormones, neurotransmitters, all these little messengers that are shooting around the human body don't function optimally when the gut isn't functioning optimally. That's probably the simplest way to put it. Do you think someone can know if their gut is their cause of anxiety and depression? I think this is maybe one of the most fascinating things that I recently learned, Carlin. I actually just shared this on a uh, at an event that I did a couple of weeks ago, and I'd never heard it before. But the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, I don't always agree with everything that they put out, but this is something they put out that I thought was really interesting. 70 to 90% of patients with IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome, who seek medical attention have psychiatric comorbidity and it's most likely depression, meaning wow. that 70 to 90% of people with IBS also have depression. Wow. So you could look at it as kind of a chicken and the egg thing, but I'm going to say, I think it's the gut and the IBS that actually leads to the depression and the anxiety. And it, they have found that when they treat the gut for depression uh, and anxiety, in many cases, people actually start to do better. Uh, and, in, and in almost every case, when you are improving in the gut, you are also improving in the brain. That's All of that is very well documented now. Okay, so now I'm curious, what are your favorite ways to improve the gut health? What do you think we should do? So there's tons of stuff. And at the top of the show, we talked about a lot of them. How you eat and what you eat is huge. One of the biggest killers of proper gut microbiome is glyphosate. So when we're looking at Roundup and glyphosate, which I know I've seen you post at least 100 times on that, it feels like it's it's a big deal. There's a reason why we go out and say, pounding the, the pavement, saying we've got to eat organic. We've got to eat non-GMO. Because when we're eating organic and we're eating non-GMO, by and large, we're avoiding glyphosate and glyphosate kills weeds, but the way it kills weeds is through a process that actually is a natural or is a, a chemical antibiotic to the human body. So even if you're not taking an antibiotic, you are getting antibiotics when you're eating that type of food in most cases. So we have to look at organic. We have to look at non-GMO as one of the very, very first lines of defense. And then how we eat, what we eat in terms of just the quality of the food, the rate of speed with which we chew, all those things that we talked about. 
And then the other thing is we we do have to reseed the gut. We've got to get the bacteria back in there if it's been lost. If you've been on a lot of antibiotics over the years, especially in the first four years of life, which is when the full human adult microbiome is formed, is in those first four years. So if you had ear infections or strep or things like that, you were treated with antibiotics. If you were born cesarean section, um, if you weren't breastfed for at least 10 to 15 months, then you started out in a hole in the first place. But even as an adult, if you get those antibiotics, it can you know, start to work down the gut. And the best thing I've ever seen to bring that back is uh, spore forming probiotics or are spore forming probiotics. And in particular, there are a few strains that I think are really, really critical. And two of those strains are in that back on track that I talked about earlier. And all three plus another thing that I love uh, called Saccharomyces boulardii uh, is in my formula called precision probiotic. And that combination of of uh, probiotics, I have found to be the most effective thing I've ever seen, believe it or not, not just for gut dysbiosis, leaky gut, autoimmune type things that people deal with, um, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, all the things that you think about with probiotics, but also it's the very first line of defense I give and recommend for people that are struggling with ADD, OCD, depression, anxiety. So interesting. I get asked quite a bit what a spore probiotic is on my page. So will you just tell the listeners what it is? Yeah, these are called commensal strains of probiotics. The commensal strains are found in our environment. They're found in dust and dirt and sand. Uh, these are things that we come in contact with naturally. I, I always use the, it's kind of a joke, but it's really not. Be a legit tree hugger. Go out and hug a tree get dirty. Recognize that when your toddler is running around putting everything he finds in his mouth, there's a reason he's doing that. Innately, that is in him to do because he knows inside subconsciously that that's going to build up his immune response. It's going to build up his gut. We need to quit sterilizing our world. It is a terrible, terrible way of doing things. We need to learn to live with uh, some of these pathogenic things, allow our immune systems to do what they were built to do and acquire immunity to those things in a natural way. That's where all these spores are found. Now in a supplemental form, the cool thing about a spore probiotic, there's a few things. They're almost uh, impossible to kill. You can heat them up to like 450 degrees and they don't die. Stomach acid doesn't impact them. They have been proven to pass through all the way down to the colon, which is where probiotics and our microbiome is really formed. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And so we don't have to worry about them being killed on the way down. We don't have to worry about refrigerating them or anything like that. And then the other thing that's really magical about these things, they don't stay there. They stay just long enough to do some repair work for about 30 to 40 days. They're going to hang out in your gut. And while they're there, they're going to release things that help to kill off pathogenic things that we don't want in the gut. And they're going to help to create an environment that is conducive to the proper growth of all of the other bacteria that is in the human microbiome. And so they work um, in a real team effort with what's already there to really strengthen uh, the gut. And some of those probiotics, including Bacillus subtilis and Bacillus coagulans are now known as psychobiotics because they actually have clinical research showing that they reduce anxiety and depression when taken in very short periods of time. Most people notice a difference within the first month, according to the studies. Oh, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know that about the psychoprobiotics. That's really interesting. 
Okay, so a lot of people will tell me, oh my gosh, that spore probiotic you recommend is so expensive. And I always respond with, well, the cheap one you're buying at the grocery store that's not a spore probiotic probably isn't even making it to the colon. And so it's probably not even doing anything in the first place. So that is a waste of money. Would you agree? Yeah, and and yeah, and it's it's such a long conversation. I, I joke, but I don't think it's actually a joke. I could probably talk about it for five hours straight. But basically, it's not that human strain probiotics aren't valuable. They do deliver some results, but mostly in symptom relief, more so than in actually restructuring, rebuilding the gut. And it is because of what you said. Most of them don't actually make it all the way down. Right. Well, thank you, Jared, so much for being here on the show today. I could talk to you for another hour easily because you'd mentioned glyphosate and I would love to pick your brain on that because like you said, I do talk about it a lot. I don't think enough people out there understand the harmful effects of glyphosate, what it's doing to their body. And I don't think they realize how much glyphosate is in our foods and what foods they're in. So maybe we have to do another episode, Jared, just on glyphosate. Carlin, I'd come on anytime. We can do a part three, four, five, whatever. I'd love to do it. Love to have you back on my show as well. This is, it's such a great platform because obviously you and I are very like-minded, but one of the things that I love about this realm that we find ourselves in of, of kind of natural health educators, I guess you could say, is we all have different life experience. We all have different experience with people that we've worked with directly with what we've done ourselves. You know, I, I, you, you have told your story many times about your depression and how that led you to a healthy lifestyle. I learned all this stuff as a kid, but I ignored most of it because that's what kids do a lot of times with what their parents teach. And I got myself the most horrible case of acid reflux, almost that you could imagine. My GI doc told me it was one of the worst ones he's ever seen. And he'd been doing that for 30 years. Wow. So I was bad off and it was a hundred percent stress and diet that got me there. And that woke me up, thankfully at a pretty young age of 26. And I decided, okay, I got to turn the page on this and start actually doing better. But, uh, you know, what you offer, uh, what I can offer, what so many of your amazing guests, my goodness, you line up amazing guests on your show offer. It's also valuable. And I just love talking about all of this stuff. So I, I appreciate the opportunity anytime I have it. Well, thank you for being on the show and tell my listeners where they can find you and your show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vitality Radio Podcast is the full name of the show. Well, the full name has my name in it too. But if you type in Vitality Vitality Radio Podcast into any podcast app, you're going to find it. The only place you won't find it right now, we're not doing the video stuff on YouTube right now, but it's everywhere else, Apple and Spotify and all those places. You can also find it at vitalityradio.com if you want to go to the website that has it on there. Vitalitynutrition.com also links to it. And vitalitynutrition.com is where you can find the things that I've talked about as far as the supplements. Uh, and then I would love if you're in Utah, come see me at Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful, our 45-year-old uh, family independent business. We would love to see you face-to-face. -face. That's the way I like to do things the very best. Uh, and then you can also find me on Instagram. I do uh, a lot of Ask Me Anythings on Instagram that people seem to really like, uh, where you can just throw up your questions and I'll give you the best answer that I have uh, at Vitality Nutrition Bountiful. Vitality Nutrition Bountiful on Instagram is the best way to find me there. So many amazing resources and listeners. He is a wealth of knowledge. So go listen to his podcast. Go follow him on Instagram. I promise you will learn so much from him. He always has amazing info. Jared, thank you again for being here. But you know, I always close my show with asking my guests what their favorite ingredient is in life. And do I yes. dare ask you a second time? Can you come up with a second ingredient? 
Absolutely. This is hard to narrow down. It's, it's like I said, it's like picking a favorite child. Uh, hopefully you can't do it. But laughter. Laughter mm. is the ingredient I want to talk about right now, because guess what? Laughter will also pull you out of fight or flight mode and put you into rest and digest mode. It's hard to be angry. It's hard to be stressed when you're having a good laugh. Don't take yourself too seriously, because the truth of the matter is all of us are down here learning and making ridiculous mistakes on a regular basis that hopefully we are learning from. And we have to be able to laugh at ourselves, laugh at the things that are happening around us, and we will find so much more joy in life when we do. I absolutely love that. And you probably don't know why I love laughter so much. <laughs> so after my journey with depression, after about two years of just dark, deep, hard depression. And once I started working with my doctor and healing with the doctor, I remember the first time I laughed again. And when I laughed, it oh, wow. felt so good. And I started crying afterwards because I was like, I haven't laughed in two years. That's oh, my how bad the depression was. And so laughter is a really huge part of my life because that was such a turning point in my life, realizing, oh my goodness, I haven't laughed in two years. And that felt so good. And it was a point of like, I'm returning, I'm coming back, I'm healing, I'm becoming who I used to be. So thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you so much for being here today. It's always a pleasure having you on my show. Thank you, Carlin. I'd love to come back anytime. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.